welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm not. I haven't done that in a while, Josh. I, I like, think you did it last time. No, no. That's maybe, like your running joke now. No, it's, I, it's been at least four or five times since I've tried to do that. I'm, and I'm Bob Galen. Welcome to the Metacast. But, I'm willing to place a small wager on that. The first Metacaster to appropriately respond with the last time that Bob did that by episode number. I am. It's all right. All right. A signed I, picture of Bob Galen himself in a turtleneck. All right. I am maybe a man of habit. I, I would agree. <laughs> I am pretty predictable. Yes. Ooh, okay. predictable. So predictable kind of goes along with our theme for the day. Oh, my gosh. You were smooth. Yes. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> That was a smooth segue, Josh. Now it's ruined. So what are we going to talk about today, Josh? I was kind of throwing it to you, but uh, I guess I'll take it. Well, you got, so excited, we're gonna... you got excited about it, about the topic. I know. that I was teeing it up for you, but that's okay. As usual, I'll shoulder the burden here. <laughs> and I, so appreciate, I... I appreciate it, Josh. <laughs> so, so our topic today is packing sprints. Um, how to do it, when to adjust up, when to adjust down, some theories that Bob has around anchors and rock sizes and all kinds of fun things that should help you get predictable with your execution on sprints. Packing. So that, that sounds like a bag to me. Is there Are there some old stories like packing, what, 10 pounds of something in a 5-pound bag? Or I, Yeah. Is that, is that what we're talking about? And I'm sure about? most people out there feel like every sprint fits that analogy. That's probably true, right? Uh, at least from a leadership perspective. I, I have that trend more and more in my coaching. I've been doing a lot of uh, local uh, new team coaching lately, Josh, at almost everyone. They enter with a, uh, a, 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 you know, a big pile of stuff and a very small bag, and they, yeah. try, they try to fit it. So, yeah, how, so how Medicasters, you, how, raise how you... your hand out there if you're overpacking your sprints. Yeah. Okay. Are, is there are there drugs that can help with that? That can kind of sort of flash, you know, flush the sprints out or something like that, like over the counter drugs. <laughs> I'm sure there are. If not, we should market them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> here's, here, here's a laxative for your sprints. Please take two and call, <laughs> and don't call us in the morning. <laughs> so, Josh, what do you do? And all, all kidding aside, because this is a pretty serious topic because it's effective, right? How you. The, the important thing, Metacasters, is packing sprints, and I've always said this. It's like it's the sprint planning leads to packing. It, it's how it affects your uh, your execution and your, your effectiveness in the sprint. So you sort of get what you plan for or get what you pack for. Uh, and a lot of teams take a variety of you know sort of approaches. Some of them work and some don't. So Josh, how what what guidelines do you use with your teams? So the two rules that we use. One revolves around maximum story size. Every team I've been a part of has narrowed in on a story point value, whatever your tracking number is, that um, every time you get to that size, you get it wrong. And you either get it wrong under or over, um, but you almost always get it wrong. So we'd narrow in pretty quickly on that maximum story point size. And we never let anything go into a planning session bigger than that. And if it is, then we just need to spend more time trying to break it down. Um, the second rule is trying not to panic. Um, I want to talk about panic. That's when you miss a sprint. And 
you can miss a sprint on the good side or on the bad side, but don't just because you're planning for 100 points and you execute to 110 points, don't make the next sprint 110 points, right? See if there's a trend. We try and do it at three, right? If we get three, three sprints at a specific level, then that's when we adjust. So that's those are the two kind of rules that I have. Um, I'm sure there's more. I know you have more, but that's the kind of the loose framework that I use whenever we start that process. No, I mean, I, I agree. I, I talk about anchor stories, but the one of the definitions or sort of a another way of looking at an anchor story is I think teams need to acknowledge what is, given their sprint length and given how they size stories, uh, a team needs to really quickly, early on, figure out what is the maximum story that I can fit effectively end-to-end in a sprint, like you said, uh, right. to get it done, done, done. So it's like, what is the boundaries? What, how, and, and you need to make sure, even if you're doing scrum or fall or whatever you're doing and then improving, make sure that you can get it completely done in the sprint with rework, with bug fixes or whatever. And that becomes, I call them executable stories. So right. to, me, to me, that anything from at eye contact, we identified it, we had two week sprints and we found that a 13 point story would fit and a 20 point story and above would not. So from mm-hmm. our point of view, one to 13 were executable stories and anything above a 13, so 20 and up was not. And right. we, we didn't really care. I mean, like a hundred point story versus a thousand point story, Josh, it, it sort of, sort of mattered, but it sort of didn't. It, we just knew we had to break it down into what? Executable story chunks. Right. Right. Uh, so it was our epics. We, we didn't spend a lot of time story pointing epics. Because they were just what out of bounds, they were out of play. Yeah, and at some point we had to break them down. Yeah, our 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 epics are large, small, medium, extra large, triple extra large things like that. We don't spend as little time as possible on those. It's that boundary. I think it's really, and you know what? A lot of people don't talk about this in planning. I don't see it in books so much. I haven't read every book, but or I don't see coaches talking about it, but I think this is a really important distinction of there's really two buckets. There's the bucket that it fits, and then there's the bucket that it doesn't. And, right. you, need, and you need to be getting those that don't to fit, right? And just to get them over that boundary. And almost the points are just a means to to, to getting it into that. Uh, so to me, now the 13, what I mean when an anchor, so I don't think a one-point story is an anchor. So then I start talking about, I don't, I don't want to fill a sprint with all these little nits. I'm looking for something meaningful. Like an anchor story to me would be what, an eight or 13. It mm-hmm. would be a large story. It would be swarmable. It would, right. it, you could hang your, the sprint theme could hang around that story. Right. The, the demo would be probably really, that story would certainly be demoed. So the, the sprinkle, the theme, the demo, everything would sort of wrap around that one story. If you can find that big one. And then you sort of on a bell curve, you fill in around it. How do you right. feel about that? So I think that's a great picture that like just just to have that to give to new teams of this is how you pack a sprint and you have the bell curve and you have those. I see it very clear in my head, those rocks in there. So you have that central story, the anchor story that you mentioned. That's the big one in the center. The next to it, you have these two that are a little bit smaller. And you have all the smaller ones that are kind of filling in the gaps to give you that nicely packed sprint. Um, so that's that's um, that's a good image. I wish I had some artistic ability so I could draw it nicely. I'm drawing it in the air right now, as you can see. So, <laughs> But uh, I was just explaining this to a team yesterday. I was, I was teaching a product owner class in, in Raleigh. 
uh, and it's the second or third time I've talked about it. And, I, and the, one of the reasons I do it, it's not just to pack the sprint, but it's to make the, the sprint. I think there's side effects like uh, having a sprint goal is easier to define. Uh, yeah. The demo is, is more cohesive uh, and it's easier to talk about. Uh, the team needs to swarm. They're not going to focus on 13 things in the sprint. They're, if you follow this this model, then there's two or three stories that are crucial to the sprint. Right. Uh, right. And the team should be, you know, if you have eight people in your team, you know, most of them should be rallying around not 15 stories or 10 stories, but they're rallying around this small set of stories and trying to get them done. And that sort of that helps with swarming. Like it's hard to swarm around a one point story. Right. Yeah. You know, so it, it has these side effects of, yes, it packs the sprint well, but I think it also sort of generates better behavior. Plus, you don't have to groom. If you think about that curve, uh, if you're grooming like a four sprint release, then you and if you have all one two point stories, you're going to have to groom what, like 80 stories. Right. Yeah. Where if you apply the bell curve, you're giving yourself a break. You might only have to groom what, like five, six, seven stories per sprint. So planning, yeah. sprint planning is a little easier as well. The problem that people push back, Josh, I'd like you to react to this, is they're really uncomfortable with like having eights and thirteens. There's actually some coaches that are saying you must break everything down into ones and twos. Why? I, I don't. I want you to react because I, 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 <laughs> I don't know how to react other than confused. I mean, there's literally, I, I, there's actually a, a video or a, a blog post or some, there's a coach on the West Coast, and he talks about breaking stories down into, you know, he wants them in four hours or eight hours. He, he's getting Kanban thinking around it, right? He wants flow. Yeah. So he wants this, he wants incredibly small bits so he can get really what, sort of this, so he can, I guess, get flow. I don't think, yeah, but I don't at think. At some point. It feels like the return on the investment in breaking things down to that level, you're spending so much time trying to get everything there that I don't – I think you're actually wasting time. You know, that's one thing that I want to do is I want teams to – I don't want teams spending a whole bunch of time sizing stuff. Like that That doesn't build a product, you know. So that's where I don't understand that. And I understand he's trying to paint a nice, pretty burn-down picture or something like that, and everybody wants that. But how much effort do you put in up front? To, to make a chart look good. Like, that's the wrong reason to do something. You, you and I are in agreement. That's what that's where I go, and we're rarely in agreement like this, but I, I agree 100%. That's why I, I, don't, I don't see the logic. In fact, I was saying to this class yesterday in Raleigh, and I, I think they hated me when I said it, but they were, they were it was a class full of product owners, but I think they were all very project manager focused. Yeah. And they were tracking, and leadership was beating them up to track their projects. Uh, and I said, I said, you guys are way too estimate focused and they're doing point math and they're, oh, they're like 213. So if a team had 26 points of velocity, I said, you may not want to put two anchors in, in their sprint. You want a curve. And this one lady looked at me, she's like, I don't get that. She's like 13 plus 13 equals 26. And that (laughs) they can do it. Damn it. (laughs) <laughs> exactly, and it was it was they were getting really caught up. You know what I'm saying, Josh? In yeah. The, oh yeah, yeah. In the math, and I and then I, I just almost got tired of it. I'm like, stop it! I said, you're thinking. I said, S- you you don't sell estimates. You don't yeah. deliver estimates. Yeah. <laughs> estimates are I mean. I said you should be focusing on execution, not on not on estimating pr- pristinely, and not on, certainly not on what calculating 
how many half points you've left over so that you can put a one point story together. What do you think? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you and I have both been places where we've had to reestimate and reestimate and reestimate and reestimate. Oh, you have. That's right. I have a recollection of a place like that. Yeah. And it's just like, I, you know, maybe if we just went with the original estimates and started writing code, we might actually be done before we're done reestimating. Exactly. You know, just a whole lot of waste. I, and, and again, I'm not saying estimates. So. I'm not saying don't estimate, uh, but it's like put the whole T-shirt sizing thing and just get in the ballpark. And I want all, I want more energy. And this is where you're going. I want the energy on the execution side. Right. I want the energy on the swarming side. On the how does the team work together to maximize every day what they can get done. Forget what they forget whether it was 20 or 30 points and the velocity. Every sprint is different. So every day. I want the team to be, this is what I said yesterday, I'd like you to yell at me about it, but I was like, in the stand-up, just to maximize every day, what did we accomplish and what are we focusing on today to, you know, as a team to right. get as much done as we can get done? And I'm supposed to argue that? I don't know. <laughs> so, the, so, so the thing that I always come back with and I always use as my argument against the re-estimating is that spending exponentially more time on estimates doesn't get you exponentially more accurate you know it's just there's a point of diminishing returns with estimates that comes pretty fast but these folks want it, there's this personality type and it's whether waterfally or the people that you and i've encountered in the past are there where they look at everything as fungible people are right. fungible stories use cases are fungible and it's an exercise of what math right uh, right and and maybe that's actually a packing lesson here is don't it, and folks want to do the math, and if the numbers are there, they can do it. But I'm like, stay away from the math. Do not right. com- do not do not commit to work based on calculations. Unless- yeah, and that's why I fight so hard for story points. Even though people end up kind of doing the math in their head to get to hours, and it it just adds another level of abstraction that keeps folks upstream from doing math that gives them inaccurate data. And they end up making wrong decisions that puts the team into a death march. Any layer that can be added to prevent that from happening is good. Yep. The other thing then, and let's take a a step forward. You were talking about your second point was sort of rolling averages for velocity is what I I took a note on. Uh, And I was trying to emphasize it. And this was a good class. So Metacasters don't. These are good people. They're they're early in the agile adoption curve. They're just trying to get their brains wrapped around it because it's very different. But I was saying, focus on execution. Do so. Do lightweight estimation when you're packing the sprints. Don't overestimate because you don't know. Then effectively pack your sprints simply. Think of this bell curve thing. Just so you don't overwork the stories and and over decompose everything and just overwork, you know, just overthink it. Then really focus on swarming and throughput and working together as a team. Like don't have development work on something for eight days and then throw it over the wall to the testers. Right. So, So don't do scrum or fall. And then at the end, measure, do pointing. Please do pointing because points are useful. Now measure what you've produced. Right, and then and then sprint over sprint over sprint. If you want to do forecasting, then start measuring the output side, and do a rolling average, and that gets you you want and that gets you your capacity. If you need to do capacity predictions, then then do predict on that, but realize that it's going to what it's it may vary. If if two, right. if two people get sick on the team 
you know, or, you know, if they leave, if you have attrition, your velocity will go down. If you add a few people, it may go up. Yeah, it, it's it's never good to take your rolling average and use that as the single constant in all of your math. You know, just people get sick and things happen and, yeah. I've so seen what, a lot of people that take that number and just start doing math and have everything planned out for the next nine months, and now that's sold and locked in stone. And so let me play. Trouble. Let me play devil's advocate though, just for a second, and say, I mean, that number is valuable. So what do you do with it? I agree with you. I'm not challenging, you know, artificially challenging you. I agree yeah. with you that you, we shouldn't get too perky with that number. But it's also it is also a good predictor. Yeah. So, so how would you handle nine-month predictions or 12-month predictions with it? What would you do with that number? Uh, and how would you do forecasting? And how would you I handle? would not predict more than three months. That's kind of my – the fog of uncertainty gets too thick after three months with what you should be doing as a product. So in other words, you wouldn't make a release commitment. If someone said if – you, if you had a release train of six months – this is a silly example, but you wouldn't you wouldn't commit to the release train uh, with a single number, right? You you would have right. to break it up and say I can predict half of the release train, and then I can reassess it. But well, then, I can say, hey, I think that we could get about this much done. What that stuff is, we don't know, right? What's 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 going to be important to the business three months from now could be drastically different. So trying to predict exactly what's going to be in there, you're setting the product up to fail. So to me, it's less about estimation and prediction than just the reality of forecasting your roadmap when the world changes quickly. And I'm in mobile, right? So I'm a little bit jaded because stuff changes faster than ever here. Um, And that affects the direction that we take with our products. But in reality, Three months is a pretty fair window. Well, I agree. I agree with you. I'm, I'm really trying to say, though. I mean, we have to predict something. So there might be. Why? Okay, so I'm talking to a CEO, right? And I have 25 points of capacity per sprint. Let's say that's my rolling average of the moment. And he's like, Bob, how much can we produce in in six months? Uh, so to me, I you know, to me, I would I would say I can produce 300 points worth of stuff. Right. Okay. Uh, you're telling me that that's uh, are you would you be comfortable making that statement? Whatever the math is, I would. And I that's might fine. I might cut it. I might say, you know what, and yeah. we might have some attrition, or actually we'd have to do some refactoring. Uh, so at I contact, we reduced it. Now, so I would say we have a raw capacity that's a two two fifty, and I'm reserving right. fifty for refactoring and bug fixes. You, that's the capacity you've got. Now, if you start changing your mind in there, you're still going to get 250 points worth of stuff. Right, yeah. We may have thrown out 50 points. If you flip-flop a bunch of times, we right. may have wasted 50 points, but you had it, and you and, right. you, and you, you screwed it away. Uh, right. but, but And you decisively did that, which is fine. I mean, you're the business. You're driving. Uh, so there would be that volatility. That's what I'm really saying. Or would, yeah. you, or would you say 200? Would you, would you cut some points off? No, or, I, I would... I would say the 300 or whatever the math says, but I wouldn't commit to 300 points worth of straight new features. With a list of a list of words, 
and right. and feature names and things like that. I agree with you. Yeah. I, w- I would say here's here's the current list. It adds up to 300 points. You got it. Right, right? now, if things change, and it's not going to be just the inter- external changes. There could be internal discovery as well. The team right. could, the team is clearly going to decide stuff. But over time, there's going to be turbulence, external turbulence, internal turbulence. Yeah. And we have that three. I, I want to have that discussion, or if it's 250 or whatnot, whatever it is. I want to err on the side of conservative. I do sometimes, not lowball it, but I try to, you know, I try to take a few points off or reserve it because I know there's going to be some what. Because velocity does change over time. Right. Uh, based on just sort of independent factors of attrition and things like that. Okay, so we're like—I mean, I'm fine committing at the level, uh, and then what? Every two weeks or whatever, you you communicate out that that sort of that that temp that tempo, if you will, or that you right. know, the adjustments you're making. What about whip limits? Uh, are whip limits part of this? Do you think? We don't have any hard and fast whip limits, but the thing that we do to really support that theory is that we have prioritize stories in our sprint. So if you're working on something in the middle of the sprint, in the middle of that ranking, but something at the top isn't done, we're going to call call you out and say, listen, that this is the most important thing for us to get finished. So that, so those, so those anchor stories would probably fit in that. Um, but we actually try and have our sprint plan in ranked order so that we can go from top to bottom and make sure we get those, things done first. There are times when stuff's at the top because it's more complex or our risk is higher or it's just more important, things like that. So with, there's a couple of variables that factor into prioritizing the sprint itself just because there's some risky things and or there's some unknowns or just whatever, right? There's all kinds of stuff that can happen that help us make sure we aren't working on something at the bottom when somebody's still struggling with something at the top. So we don't use Whip limits, we tried that a little bit, um, but have reverted back to this model. It sounds like I, when I'm teaching sprint planning um, to people, new, brand new teams, I'm very specific about saying sprint planning is this. You pull off the top story and you plan it and task it out. Then you pull off the second priority and you plan it as a team. Uh, and, and the question is, you try to. I want the team to ask itself, how do we all get that top priority story done as soon as possible? I.e., right. swarming. Then, right. the, then the next one, and the next one. I want that sort of that sequential thinking of working in priority order, and sort of the sprint plan that percolates outward. In in what? In so, with, hopefully they're they're volunteering to swarm, and hopefully they're what trying to get that stuff done as soon as possible. Right. Um, it's sort of a whip. It's not a whip limit, but it's exactly I think what you're describing. I like that thinking. Uh, instead of I've seen the reverse of it is the team looks at like 10 stories and then everyone sort of grabs a story and individually plans it. Yeah, we don't do that. And that's sort of maybe the reverse or the anti-pattern is that. And I'm trying to avoid that. I I actually want all for one, one for all. And I'd like to get the most important stuff done as soon as humanly possible with the team working on it. Is that sort of your model as well? It sounds like. Yeah, it is. And the thing that we've struggled with the whip limits is that, trying to find that right balance you know we went pretty low with it and it was like too low and just the folks trying to swarm weren't adding the value that they could so just 
you know, we balanced with that. And then we just said, okay, we're just going to put these in order and we're going to get them done in order. And that's going to be, and we're going to, you know, we're smart people. We don't need a number to tell us what the right thing to do is. We're going to look at our priorities and say, okay, I can actually help with this. So I'm going to go ask the person that's working on it. Like, Hey, I'm here to help. Tell me what I can do. And the right answer might be, I've got it. Go take care of your stuff or, Oh, great. You know, here's the five things you can do to help me. Um, but the hard and fast rules just weren't working for us. So that's the model that we've evolved to. That sounds very Kanban-y to me. You know, you're you're showing it visually to the team. You're keeping your eye on the priority ball, Right. right? Almost the ordering of your work is the whip limit. Yeah. You're not artificially setting it. I've used whip limits um, also to jolt teams that don't collaborate. I actually find, oh, yeah. them, I find them more valuable just for that. Like for one sprint, if you have a team that's doing what I said, serially planning the work, like one, you know, if you have 10 people, they all 10 plan a story and no one's working right. together. I've sort of just for one sprint, I'm like, you have a whip limit of three. Figure right. it out. Yeah, uh, uh, and then and then pull it away. It usually right. doesn't take much more than like a two week sprint, right? With a whip limit to sort of jolt people's brains to say to to get them to discover how to work together. Yeah, it's a great coaching tool, but I, I have yet to see it work exceptionally well in a continuous environment. I have friends that swear by it and they think it's the best thing since sliced bread, and yeah. I just haven't seen it yet. So. Um, but, that, but, but, but the Kanban thing, that's something that we're wrestling with right now because of the, the flexibility of our roadmap, you know, is making scrum difficult and having things, having a nice runway for our teams is presenting a challenge and just because stuff's changing. Um, so that's, that's, a we are morphing towards a more Kanban model. Do we flip the switch and go 100%? That's something we've debated and we might end up doing. Yep. How about sprint goals? I'm I'm checking our list. I think we've nicely covered sprint planning. I like the way you and I sort of covered that. Uh, How do you feel about sprint goals when you're packing? Do you align towards a goal or whatnot? I like them, but I am admittedly terrible about them. (laughs) You know, that's one thing that, that, that I have a coworker that's very good about reminding me at the end of a planning session, I'm like, okay, here we go. And she looks at me and says, no, we don't have a sprint goal yet. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, let's take care of that. So that's, for some reason, that doesn't drive a behavior within me. So I don't do a good enough job of putting that in front of our team. So that's something I'm trying to get better at. Um, But I think it does add value to have like a a rallying cry around what what we're going to do. And I think some of the things that have prevented that from being simple for us, because there have been times where we've had a, a a list of sprint goals. It was like five or six things, and that just kind of made it hard to execute as well as we could because we were all over the place, you know. So I, I think taking the anchor story theory that you have could help simplify that and give the team a more universal direction than what we've had in the past. I, I just want to suggest that is the anchors. One of the things I like about them is it helps evolve uh, the the sprint goal, right, and the demo. Right. It actually helps release planning because it, it, you know from a PO perspective, you can't. It's really I, there's a lot of things I like about it. So if you th- let's say you have a four sprint release, Josh, right? That's yeah. your that's your release train. And if I said to you as a PO, okay, you need to drive a release train of four sprints. So. You really have what four anchors, 
Right. So you don't have 20. <laughs> it forces the thinking of, I have limited right. space. So now I have to pick what? The four top themes. Right. It, and then I build around each one of them a little bit. But instead of giving the team, oh, we need, we have 12, what? We have 12 rock star things we have to develop. No, it's, right. you, you, you're aligning it. So you're limiting. It's a sort of the must haves. Right. It, it drives that must have thinking and it really helps with the, with, you know, I think with the goals, but. Uh, but I do agree that goals are really hard. We're we're talking about teams that do features. There are teams that what do bug fixes or do maintenance right. work. Goaling is really hard in those instances, right? So if you're doing stuff like that, where you're doing point releases and trying to improve things, and your story points are small, not everything right. follows the bell curve. I don't know. It's I don't even know if goals are worthwhile. Other than maybe uh, we'd like to fix what twenty points worth of bugs this sprint or something like that. And, and just pick the bugs. So I think yeah. it, I, I think it aligns. What I'm saying is I think it aligns more towards what new work or you know feature work than it does to maintenance work. Yeah, yeah. The the one thing that I always try and do, rather than say let's fix X stories, is let's make feature X better by X percent. So let's increase our throughput on our caching module by X percent by fixing these seven bugs or whatever. So trying to have a, a demonstrable result. I, I like that thinking. I mean, I think that, you know, you can find like to the, your point, you can find opportunities to reframe things like that, even for maintenance types of work. I think that makes a difference. You've probably yeah. seen the same thing. I think it just rallies people. Yeah, it does. If they have a focus. Nice discussion today. I think I think we're coming up. Did we beat it? I think we beat the, the horse down. We did. Cool. Uh, it's an important topic. I was yeah. la- I was laughing too much earlier. I was having too much fun when we started the <laughs> Metacast, and then I, we we level because it is a serious topic. So I think uh, Metacasters, I want you to you know, pay attention to sort of the stuff we were talking about because from an execution, you spend all your time executing your sprints, and the important thing is setting the stage for these darn things. Like that planning or setting the stage and setting the goal is really crucial. Josh, yeah, don't don't uh, don't set yourself up to fail. That's the that's the surest way to fail. Is setting yourself up to fail. Absolutely, Josh. How do people get a hold of us? How do they get a hold of us? Well, that's not, an not interesting physically. question. Yeah. Um, so let's see. On Twitter, that's my favorite platform. Bob is slowly. Learning how to use Twitter. Um, we are meta-cast, all spelled out. We are on Facebook, and our website, MetaCast, with an actual hyphen between the A and the C. That's us. We are there. We are everywhere. Comment, question, you name it. We're here to help. Um, surprise, we are going to be speaking at Agile West at the start of June in Las Vegas. So we will both be there. We're working on trying to get a couple... Metacast done there, so it'll be an interesting experience. Hopefully, we can do some live sessions. That's what I'm really pushing for. So, if you're interested, let us know, um, and uh, hopefully, we can make that happen for you. Oh, it'd be great. I, I'm planning on getting toasted out there, Josh. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to be I'm going to be wasted. This and Metacasters, you're thinking to yourselves, "Well, you're normally wasted. Well, I'm going to even be worse." Wow. So, yeah, I know. Paint that picture in your head. So. <laughs> So, Josh and I are distributed today. We are, we are recording this from two different locations. So, 
Medicaster? Yes, this is our first remote cast. Yeah, give us your feedback. Give us feedback on this Medicast, any Medicast subjects that you'd like us to talk about. We love that stuff. But from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina. And beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all. <laughs> See ya.